My next guest, Jamie Gain, is a right-below-the-knee amputee and defines what a high-functioning adaptive athlete is all about. Jamie competes in multiple disciplines, including Tough Mudder, Paraspartan, Judo, Paraskiing, and provides motivational speaking to people all over the world. It is my honor to introduce Jamie Gain. Welcome, everyone. My name is Rick Bonkowski, and this is the Amped Up to 11 podcast. How you doing, Jamie? Great to see you today. I'm good, thanks. How you doing? I'm doing excellent, my friend. And I have to uh, do a little backstory before we dive into this interview. You know, I became an amputee in 2016, like yourself. And, you know, I had a bit of a struggle when I began my particular journey. And you were actually the very first amputee I began following. You are, oh, wow. you are number one. Awesome. And I know it's, it's, this is a little surreal for me this moment because uh, you were actually the first guest I reached out to to get on the podcast as well. Yeah. And awesome. this, I don't know how long we've been communicating. It's been a while. Um, it has been a while, certainly. It's been a few months. <laughs> and I think at one point, you were so kind. I mean, you just said, I appreciate you chasing. Like, yeah. like keep chasing me. It's okay. I'm yeah. I, I'm not ghosting you. I'm not telling you to leave me alone. Just yeah. just stay on your path. I know <laughs> I know I know we're going to cross at some point, you know? Yeah. And, and alas, here we are. I know, and here we are. And you know, it was for me anyway finding sources of inspiration when I started, you know, my particular journey was um really the beacon. It was the lighthouse for me that kept me going. So when I sort of tapped into your story in particular and watching you go through what you did to become an amputee and then how you transitioned so quickly, and I know you had some struggles in there as well, but that you, you, really were on a, a a fast track to doing some amazing things. And I think one of the the sources of inspiration for me, with you in particular, not only what you were doing, but the way in which you were sort of presenting yourself. And you would not, and maybe you've heard this from people, for me, seeing you smiling, seeing you active, seeing you doing things in these particular spaces that you were, it was just, it was like a huge motivation for me. Like here is someone that has gone through so much and you can't get the grin off of this guy's face. Like he's, he's just doing it. I mean, he's doing it and he's doing it in a way that I want to do it, you know, in a way that um, I want to feel like that, like that person. I want to feel like that, how that person looks right now. And that was just such a big thing for me. You know, I, I sort of, um, gravitated towards the tough mutter stuff that you were doing. And for, for the listeners that don't know, 
you know, about Tough Mudder, you know, calling it, you know, an obstacle course is, is, is very much an understatement. Can you kind of explain um, in, in a more detailed way, you know, what Tough Mudder is all about and then what brought you to that particular discipline? Yeah, absolutely. So a Tough Mudder, as it was back then, it's changed slightly now. So it was a 10 to 12 mile obstacle race, um, race in the very loose sense of the word. And the community really of, of obstacle racing is is quite small. It's quite niche, but it is a real community. And that was really what, what drawn me to it. So when you talk about an obstacle race, we could talk about any kind of obstacle. So anything from a 10 foot wall to get over to a 40 foot sort of bridge to jump off into water to ice cold baths and um, you know literally a skip full of water then they're throwing in ice cubes and while it's really nice and sunny right now and i'd love that uh, as you can imagine like you know 17 degrees celsius weather in ice cold baths not particularly nice um you know and then other other different things with um, monkey bars over water with all sorts of rings and, and rigs and when I first started at looking at amputation, because mine was elective, I knew that I needed to get fit, I needed to get healthy, and I needed to be in a good place physically where I could undergo an amputation and be able to go through all the rehabilitation. Right. So I started looking at um, powerlifting, I got quite strong, and then my friend said, hey, do you want to do this Tough Mudder thing? And I did one, and that was it. I was just absolutely addicted. Yeah, completely. You know, and you, you're just like waiting in the queue, waiting to go into the warm up area, and you start chatting to people. And every time you do one, you get a headband, and, and the first one is orange. And then you see all these people with you know, 10 headband and 25 headband. And, you know, it's like, okay, yeah. wait, when can I get that? When we call that, we call that positive peer pressure. It's the, it's, yeah. it's the peer pressure that makes really, really great things happen, you know? Yeah, yeah. And when I've seen Good you, <laughs> no, when I've seen you in these competitions, I mean, this is some pretty badass stuff going on. I mean, this is not, this. I mean, when you talk about the elements, you know, and I, mm -hmm. I you know, when I, when I first sort of tapped into that energy, um, I watched you kind of go through this spectrum of, I think initially you were just on a, like a crutch. You were, um, yeah, yeah, that's right. It was like my, a... my first couple were in a wheelchair. Okay. And you know, it was taking me like eight hours to do it. And then, <laughs> oh, man. then I started on a, on a hands-free crutch and then right. those crutches and then onto walking. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so to go through that spectrum of development with that particular, um, type of competition, I mean, can you describe like how gratifying that is? And when you look back, you know, appreciating your fitness level now, probably as much as you do, given everything you've gone through. And I'm sure, I mean, you can answer this. Would you, would you change any of it? I don't think I'd change anything, to yeah. be honest, because, you know, when it was eight hours in a wheelchair on my own pushing myself up the hills and you know on my hands and knees pushing my wheelchair up the wall up the up the cliff side you know that was actually incredible training at the time and and there's often moments where you know I go and do an obstacle race now like a 10 mile obstacle race and it will take me an hour and a half two hours and that's me kind of going for it and I and I think if when I'm in those moments thinking you know can I actually get to the end of this I'm like Oh yeah, you know, I did this eight hour one. Yeah, okay, it was much slower and it was much, the obstacles were the relief and the walking in between was really hard. 
But actually, if I got through all of that, you know, actually all this other stuff, even though it's at a higher and more um, kind of elite level, actually, in some respects, those earlier races were quite difficult. And I, I didn't really fully appreciate when I was going through them just how challenging they were. It was just like, I'm just going to get to the end. And that that was it. And I just had in my mind mind that I'm just going to finish it however long it takes. And, you know, a couple of races, I had the guy in the cart behind me going, you're the last guy, come on, you know. And um, and I thought, you know, if I can do that, I can, I can do anything. I mean, I think, you know, the part of what you just said that really resonates for me is it's that it's that idea of completing, you know, getting to the end. And that I think is such a, it's such a lesson for amputees and anyone who has any level of disability that we're not all going to, you know, come in first place, but at the same time, there is such a, you know, a beauty in saying, you know, I finished, like I got through it. And I think I picked up on that energy and seeing you go through that, um, it, it just had a huge benefit to myself. And, um, there was one particular, and I'm trying to remember the, the fella's name, um, Jeshu. Am I saying that right? Oh, yeah, Jeshu. Okay. Yeah, Jeshu, yeah. So there was this, this piece that I saw on video where, you know, you, you were already, um, at that point walking and you were trying to essentially do some recruitment and you were bringing others into this space again, which is something I so admire about you is to say, okay, well, I've reached this level and you're looking around going, who else can I bring into this space with me? How can I share this energy? And Jeshu comes in, never done anything like this before. Okay. He he's wheelchair bound, correct? Yeah. Okay. And tell me about what that represented. I mean, you could tell. I mean, what that res- represented for him. I mean, talk about yeah. just the joy that he was experiencing going through that. Um, tell me a little bit about what that looked like through your lens. Hey, amputees, I'd like to take a moment to introduce everyone to the liner wand. We all know how bacteria and odor can be a major issue with prosthetic liners, and the liner wand is the solution. Did you know that if you're using soap and water, you may be making the problem worse? The liner wand uses a patented formula that deletes all bacteria and smells for two weeks. The Liner One is available as an affordable subscription or individually, and it always ships for free. To learn more, visit thelinerone.com. That's T-H-E-L-I-N-E-R-W-A-N-D.com. Use code 211, that's 211, and receive 50% off your first subscription today. You can also use the code RICK. R-I-C-K, and receive 25% off your cleanser subscription as well. That's thelinerwand.com. The joy that he was experiencing going through that. Um, tell me a little bit about what that looked like through your lens. I think that, that, that is something that will kind of stay with me for my whole life, you know, as to how, how incredible that experience was. Yeah. And 
what it really showed me is, yeah, okay, I allowed him this opportunity, and you know, the the wheelchair that he was using was my own wheelchair that I lent him for the day, yeah. and you know, there's little little moments like teaching him how it worked because the the steering mechanism was different to a standard wheelchair, or you know, really. Um, those early stages of, well, what should I wear? What should I bring with me? What do I need to eat the day before? And that whole process was just so enjoyable. And it actually brought me back to the first one that I did where I had those thoughts. And I was thinking when I was having those thoughts and when I was going through what he's going through, actually, I didn't have anybody there for me. I didn't have anybody to motivate me to go, you know what? Come on, let's give it a go and I'll help you and I'll hold your hand. So I think I wanted to give him an opportunity to do that or anybody. And it was just so happened that he, he kind of came forward, but I think it, it kind of just really resonated with how important it is for me to give back to the community because, you know, I, I didn't have anybody at all. Or I didn't feel like I did and amputation because of my, because it was elective and because, um, for various reasons, you know, I was I was kicked out of home when I was 16. So my parents weren't on board for my amputation. My friends weren't on board. You know, my, my partner was really supportive, but I, I didn't have anybody else in my corner. And I think that's really, really important. Yeah. And um, it just was an amazing experience. I, I've, I've continued to, to show other adaptive athletes around the course. And, and I think the special thing about Tough Mudder or obstacle racing in general is one, the community that I kind of talked about earlier, is just amazing. And the, the amount of people who came in and helped and pushed him for, you know, a hundred meters or so and then left, it was just amazing. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was partly that. And also the fact that, you know, if you come in last, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's just about finishing. It's about doing whatever you can do to the best of your ability and making sure that everything is in place so that you on that day are ready to go, um, you know, mentally, physically, everything's ready to go. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, pounding away on that, just finishing, just finishing, you know, it, it, it's not about um, where you place. It's, it's about the community. It's about yeah. sharing that energy. Because when I watch that video, I'm like, Oh my gosh. I mean, it's just, it, it's just such a celebration of like humanity and everyone just, yeah. you know, helping each other because let's face it. I mean, man, if we just helped each other, the world would be a much better place. You know, <laughs> yeah. we just reach, right. Just reach out once in a while. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you talked a little bit, you know, about your own, you know, your own support systems. Obviously I've read up, you know, following you as long as I have, I, I, I very much know about your story. Um, you know, you're nine years old, you're, you know, at Disney World, you start experiencing, um, you know, these, these symptoms of pain, you get di diagnosed with uh, uh, plantar fasciitis, which um, then leads to uh, what seemed like a, a very complex uh, nerve disorder as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, you fought, man. I mean, you fought at a very young age to have amputation. I mean, I was not yeah. aware of, you know, that particular set of, um, hurdles that, yeah. that go on. Um, and, you know, because, <laughs> You know, obviously, I don't know because my my amputation was not elective. Um, sure. it, it was more of a this has got to go or you're going to die kind of situation. 
So um, can you explain to me the complexities of that journey, which I think was around six years? Do I have that right? That what you yes, were, so my, my, yeah, the six years fighting for amputation. Yeah, six yeah. years fighting for amputation. Can you kind of walk the audience through that particular process um, in a little bit more detail? That would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So it was, I was about 16 at the time, and I'd already had 25 operations to solve this chronic pain they didn't really know exactly what it was at that stage and it just so happened that I went to a doctor's appointment and I was at the end of my tether you know 16 here in the UK is when you do your big exams and then you do and the next set at 18 and then you go off to university eventually and I just finished or was just about to finish those exams and you know every single Christmas holiday every Easter holiday every summer holiday I was in hospital every half term I was in hospital you know after school Physio, I was I was just fed up, if I'm honest. So I went to the doctor with a really fed up attitude because normally I'd go in really positive and be like, you know, what's going to happen? But I just was really down to earth with the chap. And I said, look, what are you going to do? Because I've already had 25 operations. You keep just saying to me, let's try this, let's try that. I'm just fed up, you know. And at this stage, I'd never met another amputee. I'd never heard... I didn't really know what it was, you know. Um, so he said, oh, we're going to do this surgery, this surgery, this surgery. If it doesn't work, then amputation is on the cards. And then it was almost like a little, you know, light bulb in my head that just kind of went, wait, amputation is an option? Why are you why are you putting me through yeah. all these surgeries and all this turmoil right. if amputation is an option? Like, just, just, like, let me just get rid of that thing and, you know, get a new foot, basically, that will work. Um you know, and because I was only 16, he said to me, you know, you're only 16, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, you know, go and see this other this other doctor. So basically I was I was pushed from pillar to post where uh this doctor then referred me to another doctor, referred me to another doctor, and you know, waiting times were sometimes, you know, three to six months between appointments. And at that point I was also working part-time as well as doing my studies. So I had a pot of money. And I decided that, um, you know, this is just around the point where I was kicked out of home. So I was living, you know, in various places in my car at the point where I bought a car. Mm. And um, I thought, this is what I'm going to spend my money on. So I just went from doctor to doctor. And it was literally, you know, I went to Dr. Smith and, and he said, no, I can't do it. Try Dr. White. And I went to her and she said, no, try this. So I was literally going around. So I just want to understand this. I want to understand this because I think this yeah. is a really, really important part of, of your journey. Mm. You're 16. Yeah. You are, for lack of a better phrase, you're, you're homeless. You're yeah. taking all of your resources. You're, you're trying to work, you're in pain, okay? You're, li- yeah. you're living with pain. You're taking all of your hard-earned resources as a 16-year-old, and you are trying to find a way to have your leg amputated. I mean, think yeah. about that. Just that particular, I mean, if you were to put that, like, on a movie, you know, like, billboard or something, everyone's yeah. like, I got to see this movie. Like, like how, (laughs) like what kind of story, what is happening here, you know? And somehow you find the strength to keep going. So sorry to stop you. Just 
pick up right there. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think it's interesting because people people always say to me, you know, how did you, how did you, you know, there was so much stuff going on. How did you even get through it? And and if I'm honest, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And I, I think the fact that I saw amputation as this this one thing that was going to solve everything, and I, I appreciated the risks and the, the chance that it wouldn't work and and the potential for a challenging afterlife, but it was the one thing that I was focused on, and it didn't matter about anything else. That was the one thing. So eventually, I found a surgeon who was willing to amputate. And bearing in mind, I'd travelled all across the country, so this surgeon was seven hours north of where I lived. And uh, I was going up to see him, and he was taking his time, shall we say, because I found him privately, you know, paying £200 an appointment. I couldn't afford to do that a lot, so I was referred through the the National Health Service. So I was waiting for that referral to come through. My funds had had nothing left, basically. And um, I was due to have an appointment with him. And just at this time, I was in the final year of my degree. And I had uh, my undergraduate degree. So I had a job lined up for the September. And I thought, right, this is the the window where I can get my amputation done. And I, I'd like planned it, you know, I was like, right, if I have it on this day, right, right. exactly six weeks. You're, recovery, you're like marking off your calendar, you know, you know, every day. Yeah. Yeah, no, I got exactly. it. Exactly. I'll go back to training here, you know. <laughs> um, so I, I found him and he, he basically said to me, this was, sorry, no, this wasn't in my final year. That was a bit later. Um, this, this was um, a couple of years before that. He said, in order to do the amputation, you have to uh, undergo counselling for two years mm. to prove that you know you've thought about everything. You have to see a psychotherapist, uh, sorry, a psychiatrist to prove you're mentally stable enough. You have to go to prosthetic centres to, to understand prosthetics, and then once those things have been met, then I'd be willing to amputate. So when I went through this process of, you know, a couple of and years. And is that because that you're 16? Stuff, is that because you're. This is because I'm, I am at this stage. I'm about 20. Okay. So, so but is that, is 20. that protocol is, I guess where I'm, where I'm going is, is that just how it is for elective amputees where you, where you live? Um, partly, I think it was, it was partly because I was young. Okay or young-ish, um, I think it was also because I was really honest about the fact, you know, I've been sent here by all these other doctors who won't do it. Will you please just give me a chance? Mm. Um, you know, because it's their, it's their medical license, isn't it, that's on, that's on hold. So once I'd undergone those two years, I was still waiting. And that's, sorry, when I was in my undergraduate, final year of my undergraduate degree. And it just, it was taking so long. And I thought, right, well, if he's willing to do it, I might find someone else to do yeah. it. So I started looking online at um, anyone would amputate it across the whole world. And I found this guy in India who was willing to amputate. So I was messaging his secretary and was like, yeah, cool. This is how much it's going to cost. I started raising money. Um, And then at the point where I was ready to book to go to India, I then sent the original surgeon who said, you know, you have to go through these hoops. Mm -hmm. I sent him an email and said, hey, by the way, I'm just about to book in to go to India. Um, if you don't agree to amputate it, that's fine. I'll just go to India and get it done. But can you please just have one last consideration? And he then said, I'll see you on Monday. Okay. And uh, and that's when he approved approved the amputation. Right. So I, I wonder if if I hadn't have done the Indian plan, whether 
it would have gone ahead. Yeah, it's funny. Funny you had to use some form of leverage to say, "Hey, <laughs> I'm about to get on a plane. Um, are are you yeah. sure you don't want to do this?" And <laughs> yeah. you know, I, so much of the way you describe it, um, in terms of your resilience, your determination, and I'm sure so many people who meet you now and the way that you perform at the level that you do uh and and see your strength see you know this this sort of high vibration that comes from you all they have to do is just do a little bit of research on you and go aha okay yeah i get it this guy yeah. nothing stops this person i mean just just nothing gets in his way and i think for myself you know like i was mentioning earlier following you you know on my own path uh as an amputee i definitely was able to sort of feed off of that energy and it gave me um it gave me the ability to set goals and reach those goals and continue to set those goals because the thing is we're never done you know we're never done um we are all a work in progress and it's our duty to reach our fullest capacity no matter what our situation is and you know it's funny i was talking to my parents yesterday and i said you know it's been my dream to interview some of these people i was even telling them about you and i said um you know there are certain things that they can do that i'm I'm not really sure that I can do. However, I know there's so many things I can do that I haven't done yet, and I'm going to do them. Yeah. And be, because mm. of these people, uh, I know I can. And as long as I keep feeding myself that fuel and you and I continue to sort of, you know, keep dumping into that community pool, let's say, to mm. say, you know, this is positive energy. We all need it. Because the, the thing about the amputee community, I find it, it in a lot of ways, it's kind of this, although it's everywhere, it's kind of this small, kind of focused mm. kind of group of people that um, really realize, you know, this is a powerful sort of journey we're all on right now. And as long as everyone's kind of, you know, planting their little seedlings everywhere, man it's 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 just great to watch things germinate and how we're breaking these barriers these stigmas about amputees you know yeah. so you know i so appreciate what you say when you go well I, you know i i never met an amputee i didn't really know like what that's all about man i was in the same yeah. camp i'm like you know first thing that pops into my head I'm like, well, what, what's that look like? Like, what, like, what's this going to be? Or how are people going to perceive me? Or, you know, yeah. there, there's all these little uh, nuance and stigmas. And, it, you know, I definitely got on the my life is over train. But it was it was yeah. momentary. I mean, it was just a, it was yeah. just a moment. It was, you know, once I started tapping into energies like yourself and other people, all of that just went away. I mean, it was gone. And, um, you know, for you to continue doing what you're doing, I so appreciate it. 
I do want to take a quick break. We're going to do a segment that we do on every episode that's called Amps You Should Know. Uh, We're going to be right back with Jamie Gain. Don't go away. Hey, everyone. Today on Amps You Should Know, I want to talk about Roman Lakin. Uh, Roman is a 36-year-old bilateral above-the-knee amputee. He's been an amputee for four years. Uh, As difficult as this is for me to say, um, Roman became an amputee when he was run over by a subway train in New York City. Uh, You know, Roman is just an incredibly remarkable guy. I actually noticed Roman um, online through social media and uh, noticed a lot of what he was putting out there in terms of content. Uh, he's an incredible guy uh, involved in hand cycling, mono skiing, indoor rock climbing, uh, wheelchair pickleball, softball, wheelchair basketball. Uh, he's just an incredibly active amputee. And when I did finally have a chance to speak to him, all I can really say is I've never met a more positive person. He's a pleasure to talk to, certainly a uh, inspiration to me and his strength and his wisdom in just being a four-year amputee. Um, I can't say enough great things about Roman. Uh, I really appreciate him sharing his story with me and just everything that he represents in our community. Um, You know, when I asked Roman what inspires him, He said it was just that he simply loves showing people that anything is possible. Uh, Roman Lakin, he is definitely an amp you should know. Hey everyone, we're back with Jamie Gain, and we've been talking about his fantastic, extraordinary, unbelievable journey as an amputee. We've only scratched the surface, though. You know, I want to I wanna get into uh, some of the activities that you engage as an adaptive athlete, which, of course, uh, many people like myself are following. Um, you know, w- when I look at my notes here and I, I, I think about all the different disciplines that you've been involved in, um, it, it's, I mean, it's a little mind-boggling for me. Because, you know, the, the, the thing I always go to right away is, you know, how on earth does he find the time, you know, to, to do all of these things? I mean, okay, so, you know, you, 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 you done, you've done judo, you're a para-spartan, obviously a tough mutter. Uh, now you're doing para-skiing, aren't you? Yep, that's right. Oh, man. I mean, <laughs> and you find the time to do uh, public speaking and private sessions. You're a motivational speaker. Uh, just walk me through, before we get into some of the disciplines specifically, walk me through how you parse all that out and have a life and have, <laughs> you, you know, I mean, we're all given the same 24 hours in a day, right? So, yeah. um, you know, like, when do you sleep? I mean, how do you do it all? I mean, help me understand that a little bit better. 
Well, I, I certainly get my eight hours. I'll tell you that. Every okay. Night. Uh, that's reassuring. Sure. That's reassuring. Yeah. I'm glad you're saying that. <laughs> yeah. So um, as well as obviously my, all my sports, I am a full-time um, secondary school teacher for maths. So I work, you know, full-time, but that means that, you know, my half-term breaks, my Easter breaks, my summer holidays, I can focus on training, which is, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my, my average day is getting up about half six in the morning and then I'm leaving and I'm being at school by, you know, 7.15. And that then means that I can get all of my preparation, all of my, because obviously being a teacher is, is really hard and having to prepare work so that sure. when you're in work, you have work to do. Um, so I get all of that done sort of first thing in the morning. And then, you know, it will literally be sometimes going straight from school on a train to London and doing a speech for a couple of hours, getting back. Um, I recently bought myself a Peloton a couple of months ago. Oh, really? So, you know, getting on the Peloton for about an hour or so um, and having a dinner and pretty much going to bed. And that's that's pretty much every day, Monday to Friday. And, and I always make sure that I allow, you know, whether it's half an hour or an hour with my partner and we just literally just sit down and, and watch TV. And yeah, okay. Well, we, we cook dinner together. We spend a lot of time together there. So, you know, I get my sort of interactions there. And and then at the weekend, it's it's pretty much event after event most of the time. So from May up until sort of September, October, every single weekend pretty much is booked up with events, races, training, um, some kind of something else. And then during the summer holidays and all the other holidays, I fit in all of my other stuff and then I do all my other work I basically try and make the most out of every minute of the day so if I'm getting on a train to London which is about an hour um, I try and do some of my work or as well as that I'm doing a master's part-time master's degree part-time so I might do some of my dissertation work (laughs) or write some of my essays or my reading or you know and then I go to university once a week so I just literally try and make the most out of every minute and uh you you certainly get used to doing things very efficiently. Yeah, and and I'm, you know, I I am very much naturally a um person that needs to be stimulated and yep. whether that's physically, mentally, uh I'm definitely a creative and I very much seek out activity. Mm. And I I I find that when um I'm alone and there's official downtime, let's call it. Mm. It, it only, t- and this is crazy, but it only takes about 20 minutes for me to slip into boredom where I'm thinking yeah. like, well, what, what could I be working on right now? You yeah. know, to, to kind of get, you know, get my gears going again. Yeah. Completely. And the, the only thing that seems to kind of, you know, put me into that sort of, <laughs> calm state is if i if for some reason i overeat (laughs) and then i'm kind of like you know i'm like i'm like (laughs) (laughs) where where that isn't the thing that you really should be doing in order to calm yourself down you know (laughs) exactly it's like it's like yeah that's that's a bad habit to get into food food is fuel it's not a way to like you know make your make yourself you know lay down on the couch but um, I would think all of that planning for you, you know, making sure that there's the work, you know, life training, 
you know, time with your partner, family time, all of that is, is probably a very complex recipe. Um, but obviously with like anything else, I think that, you know, you do, um, you just strive to be the best at it and just to do it very well and live your fullest life and try to get as much as you can out of every moment. I was actually yeah. uh, sick for a number of years. And, you know, that time in my life, I, I sort of lived in this, this uh, uh, I guess you'd call it almost like a zombie-like state where you're just, you're, mm -hmm. you're, everything is very fuzzy. And I know that you were medicated at one time in your life as well. So yeah. you might be able to relate to that, that feeling of things just aren't really clear. Your lens yeah. is just very fuzzy all the time where you don't yeah. really feel like whatever's happening right now is really even happening to you. You're just sort of in this space. And the way I think of my life now in that I am so clear, I am so focused and friends that, you know, saw me through my toughest times are like, you're like a completely different person now. <laughs> like we don't even know who you yeah. are. And that to me is, is such a, a, a beautiful compliment because trying to get as much out of every moment for me, and you might agree with this, I think you probably do. That's when you feel like you're really living, you know, when yeah. you're engaging life, you know, wouldn't you agree yeah. with that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think in the last couple of years, I've really, I, I was very much, you know, I have to be the best at everything, mm -hmm. be the best that I can be at everything. And I think I've actually been willing to accept that, you know what, some stuff's going to, it's going to take a backseat and priorities are going to change all the time. And, you know, I've been doing it the last, the last year or so, mm -hmm. you know, I, I used to try and post on social media every single day. And now, you know, there's, there's sometimes a week where I, I don't do anything. And, and I think what I try and do is, He's come across on my social media and, and come across as a person that actually, you know what? Like, yeah, I do these great things. You know, I'm ranked number two in the world for this. I'm ranked number one in the world for this. But actually, you know, I have a life. Mm. I, not everything is perfect. And, you know, I'm going to be the best that I can be. And, and whatever that means at that time for that particular thing, I'm just going to accept that. And, and you know, different people relax and, and do different things at different ways. You know, for me, I could quite easily start playing the piano and lose myself in it for an hour. You're a musician. I see that as, you're a musician, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And you're you're like cross discipline. Like you play a couple different instruments, don't you? Yeah, that's right. Of course yeah. you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a I, I'm a drummer. I, I only know how to hit, oh, really? I know only know how to hit things with sticks. Um, okay, that's fine. So, we'll, we'll take you. We'll take your board. That's fine. <laughs> no, but but I, I I really appreciate you saying that. Because sometimes, and I don't know if you've ever directly, hopefully not, experienced this, sometimes there, there can be this resentment in the amputee community of high-functioning amputees. Yeah. And I find this a little bizarre, um, mm. only because uh, I only draw positive feelings from people that are living their best life, whatever that is. 
when I yeah. when I see someone that is in a wheelchair and they're playing basketball and they're um, you know playing uh, you know uh, pickleball or soccer from a wheelchair and they're, and they're doing it well I mean they're they're high performers in that chair I'm like damn that's awesome like good for yeah. you if that's your channel if that's your groove go for it be mm -hmm. be awesome at it and there is no there 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 is no comparing of well you have to get to this stage or that stage or you know just to be able to cel celebrate each other for those differences i think is so important and for you to be yeah. able to step away you know from something like social media you know and and leave us all a little hungry for your next post <laughs> isn't the yeah. isn't the isn't the worst thing to do you know because um sometimes you know uh piquing everyone's curiosity about what's going on it can be uh can actually work to your advantage where where mm -hmm. you're not just constantly broadcasting you know every meal every thought you know everything that you're doing um but just giving your followers you know a general idea of what's going on with you humanizing yourself in that space of hey yeah you know i i'd love to be part of the marvel universe but i am not a superhero you know i'm yeah. i'm just a person you know i have a life mm -hmm. i have a job and you know it's funny as this podcast tends to get more and more popular you know i'm getting inundated with all these messages and i'm like you guys got to understand something i got a full-time job <laughs> like yeah I, this isn't what i do full-time you know i'm yeah. i'm volunteering my my time to play my role in all of this to mm. bring these stories out in in a uh conversational kind of way so that people can see how normal all of this is and um really be able to not only be inspired but see this as uh more of a human interest thing in that you know there is such a thing as the amputee lifestyle and it's it's very normal we we mm. we look a little different maybe but it's all just normal stuff going on um i wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh the judo competitions because yeah. i find some of that video that i've watched it, i mean you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to drop an F-bomb, but it's, 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 it's extraordinary. I mean, it's like Thank effing you. extraordinary. When I see you competing, performing at that level, and you're not wearing a prosthesis. No. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's for me, again, going back to the, what can I do? What can I not do? I definitely can't do that. <laughs> but I am so inspired when I see those videos um, of you competing, you know, with these able-bodied individuals. Uh, how did all of that start? You know, what, what brought you to that particular arena? 
Yeah, well, I, I, I did judo actually from a really young age. Mm-hmm. So my, my brother did judo. My brother's four years older than me. My brother did it. And, you know, I, I started at age four, just, you know, literally trying to push push people over, yeah. basically, uh, until I was in my wheelchair at the age of nine. And then when I had my amputation, I was like, you know what, that thing that I loved as a kid, let's, let's give it a go. Why not? So I just turned up my local judo club. I started right back from white belt. And, um, and, and, you know, I literally turned up and they said, we have no idea what to do with you. We'll just chuck you on a mat and see what happens. We don't know what to do with you. I love that. So, so you show up and they look at you like now, okay, now what do we do? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much, yeah. And then I found out that there was this, um, it's changed now, but it used to be called um, Special Needs Judo. And that was that was the only avenue available for anybody with any kind of disability. Right. So I thought, hey, you know, there's this platform. I don't really agree with the Special Needs name, but I'll, I'll go anyway. So I went to the British Special Needs Championship. Sure. And again, I turned up and they were like, we don't know what to do with you. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's fine. You know, they said, right, you can't compete with your leg on. You have to take your leg off. And then you're going to compete in these categories. Um, we're going to look at your, you know, you look pretty strong. You look pretty fit. We'll just put you in the most able-bodied category. Why not? That seems fair. Yeah. Um, and then I came back with that first competition with a silver medal. Wow. So, you know, and I think I remember obviously you're in you're in the mode you're on you're on the mat you've got an opponent in front of you and you're trying to focus on that but while you're doing that you know you've got a crowd of people who've never seen a lower limb amputee do judo before so there's like all these faces watching you and you're like i feel like i'm representing the whole amputee community well here's the thing and i i can only corroborate that that version because i'm an amputee and when i see you in that space i'm like Oh my gosh, this is incredible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like all these people, you know, and then I, I, I think it was my first match. I like did a really nice throw and, and everyone was like, whoa, you know, and then they came to the second match and every, even more eyes were on me. I was like, okay, no pressure. Yeah. Right. Um, and then there was, there was a couple of guys who were over from the Netherlands. I don't know why they were at the British championships, but anyway, and uh, the, the coach there said, hey, you know, you should come and compete in the Netherlands. We have more competitions. So, you know, from there I was asked to represent Great Britain and go over. And then I was asked to compete at the World Judo Games, which is the, the highest competition that you can get to. Because um, obviously the Paralympics, unfortunately, isn't, isn't an avenue for amputees. So, again, similar, similar story turned up. They said, we don't know what to do with you. So, <laughs> no leg. And uh, here we go. Yeah, so... It was good fun. No, it's, it's, I mean, for me, again, it's just inspirational and um, just seeing you in that space and doing what you do with such confidence and grace and just, you know, it's, it's, it's such a, uh, it's such a piece of sort of amputee history, I guess is the way to put it. It's, Mm -hmm. it's in, in a way it's, I look at it, I always look at things, you know, in that focused way, but then I look at the, I sort of step back and I look at the bigger picture and I, I see those moments very much as like your legacy. You know, when I, when I see you in, in Tough Mudder, when I see you in these judo competitions, 
Um, talk to me about what happened in the Netherlands recently. Let's talk about that. The Spartan competition. Oh, for my Spartan. Yeah. Oh, that was that was amazing. I absolutely loved that. So, you know, up until this point, my my Tough Mudder competitions, um, they weren't really competitions. You know, it was just finishing. But then I also did the obstacle. European Championships and the Obstacle World Championships. And again, I was competing against able-bodied people. And then at the World Judo Games, again, I was competing against physically able-bodied people because they had some kind of mild learning difficulty. And But there was this opportunity to um, go to a Spartan and Obstacle race with other para-athletes. Yeah. And they were actually going to classify us as lower limb impairments, upper limb and then wheelchair athletes. So, you know, I, as part of my surgeries, um, up until my amputation, you know, I have a spinal cord injury as well, so I have no feeling below my waist. But I was like, okay, even if I'm against another amputee, I, I really don't care. It's kind of level-ish, so let's go for it. So it was with a, another athlete that I competed with in Las Vegas as part of a team competition, but this was an, an individual-based competition. So it was all organized, and it literally was the most amazing weekend you know I, I remember going home thinking i don't want to come home i just want to do it all over again <laughs> so it was two two um two competitions one that was just completion really and then an actual competition yeah so the the completion one was an overnight sprint so it was only a 5k you know pitch black with head torches on and little christmas lights stuck to you and it was just a chance to get to know the other athletes um from a sort of competition basis to, to have an understanding of how people were going to approach it you know yeah. am i am i going to be near the back am i going to be near the front i've got absolutely no idea and then the sunday morning was a, a super so it was 10 kilometers mm. just go as fast as you can and that was just that was just amazing i mean i, I didn't realize they were going to rank overall so the overall adaptive athletes with any impairment. And then they also had a lower limb um, amputee or a lower limb impairment one and the different different um, kind of rankings for each one. Yeah. But it was just it was just amazing, you know, being able to run with other adaptive athletes and just, you know, get that sense of of oh, there's someone, you know, like half a mile behind me, you know, I'm gonna speed up a bit, or, you know, keeping that going. Cause it's very easy when you're racing and it's not a competition or it's not on a level playing field. It's very easy to just go, you know, what's the point in pushing myself? Because I'm not going to get any further. I'm not going to get any faster. I'm just going to be better than somebody who's physically better than me anyway. Right. Um, and while I don't often think like that, it, it can kind of feel like that sometimes. Sure. So it was actually really nice to go into a race thinking, you know what? I could win this. I could come home with a medal. And uh, I'm very fortunate that I did. Yeah. And you came home with which medal? Uh, we'll go. <laughs> of course, you did. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. You're so, you're so the, modest. The, you're so modest. I have to like, I have to like pull that out of you. <laughs> you're like, yeah, I came home with a medal. I'm like, and you. <laughs> See, but that's what I love yeah. about you. You're like, well, I'm, I'm not going to boast, but hey, I competed and I won. You know, so when I saw some of those images, obviously, I've seen some of the video. It, it's such a. Uh, uh, camaraderie and there's this 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 energy this buzz you know amongst all the athletes yeah. and um it's it's got to be just 
I would think like transformative in a way for yourself. Yeah, and it's and it's really motivating to be honest because you know we're hoping to do another European Championships in October with very similar athletes and you know that that's kind of like it's going to be a level playing field ish and it's an opportunity to really get a, another medal. Um, so I'm really going to go for it and I'm really going to train hard for Great. it and and that's kind of my plan. No, I'm it's looking interesting forward because to the it. Um, the night sprint the night sprint that was uh, just completion we did in about an hour and 40 minutes mm-hmm. or something um, because we were all as a team, you know, and then the next day when I was competing, I did double the distance in like an hour and a half or something <laughs> because, you know, we were actually racing. It was, uh, you weren't, was you weren't, you weren't yeah. just cruising like the night before, you know? Oh, it was, it was great. It was, it was wonderful. You know, it was, it was very typical obstacle racing, you know, you get over a wall and you help someone else and then you wait for everybody and you're just there chatting and then you yeah yeah you know, go off to the next one no it's in in some right. ways it has a social component which i think is is probably wonderful you know to be able to yeah. exchange ideas and things like that so the thing i want to talk about you know uh, a little bit if you can give us some of your your tips and tricks um so when someone looks at um a uh you know an adaptive athlete like yourself and they see some of the things that you're doing um and let's say they're at ground zero, yep. brand new amputee, uh, may have had an active lifestyle before amputation, may not, but they're wanting to get into those spaces. They're wanting to get into those, those competitive spaces, pushing themselves, you know, to those limits. Um, what would you say to someone that just comes to you and says, you know, how do you do it, Jamie? Like, how do you do it? Like, what, what can you tell me? Like, what words of wisdom can you give me? Um, not even, not, not just from a spiritual standpoint of the, you just got to go for it, but also, well, well, how do you manage all of that with your limb? And, you know, you know, you know, what are those recovery times like? I mean, can you get into some of those details for me? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the wonderful thing about adaptive sports and amputees in general is I, I feel like anybody that the people that put themselves out there are, are out there because they're willing to be contacted you know and I don't put my page up because I don't want anyone to contact me I love it when I get messages of, of help and being able to direct people so when it comes to you know sport if someone said I really want to get in, into wheelchair basketball for example you know, I can almost guarantee that by getting in touch with wheelchair basketball, they'll have the resources, they'll have people there to be able to help. So, you know, if you are an individual that's that's interested in anything, just reach out to people. And the more contacts you can make, you know, they'll always be, hey, I know someone in that area who can help you, or I'll go for a run with you. People are always willing to help and being open open to help. Yeah. I think when people are a new, new amputee, there's that sense of either people think, I'm not able to do anything. I need a lot of help or people go the other side of, no, I'm really proud. I need, I need to get through it myself. And, and I think being able to settle in whatever state you're in and accept help, um, it is, is really, really important in terms of, of practically in terms of legs, everybody's system is very, very different wherever you live. Um, but there are some amazing organizations out there that can help you. you know, the challenging athletes foundation from, your local prosthetic centers to you know anybody really any any sponsor that's willing to help my recommendation is go out there start doing whatever you want to do 
And then when you start doing it, just show people what you're able to do. Yeah. You know, I got, I'm very fortunate. I've got my blade is sponsored and my um, walking leg is sponsored. And that's purely because I paid for my first leg through the clinic. And then like two weeks later, I was deadlifting all sorts of weights and I was sending the videos and saying, Hey, this is what I can do. Can you now support me? And they said, Oh, wow. If you can do that with this, here's this great product that you can use, you know, oh, yeah. be open to sharing your story, be open to um, helping other people to receiving support and actually just put yourself out there because people are willing to help. That is fantastic advice, you know, because sometimes I will get asked this question as if I have the answers and, mm. you know, I always go back to my business mind, which is build your network, start yeah. building your network, reach out to as many people who will listen. You will be amazed yeah. at how many, how many different people, whether that's clinicians, practitioners, other amputees, therapists, prosthetic companies, you would be amazed at how many people are willing to help. And if you're transparent and you say, these are my goals, this is where I'm trying to go, this is what I'm trying to do, it's, it's, it's phenomenal what starts to happen for you. And I encourage that, and I appreciate you saying that, because that encouragement is the gateway, okay, to getting forward, to getting to where we want to go. And... um you know, I had a, a a young mother contact me. Uh, her her autistic son was in a uh, lawnmower accident and became a uh, uh, below the knee in one leg and uh, lost a partial foot on the other leg. And she was in a space of now. What do I do? I am starting from zero. I had a son who has special needs to begin with, and now I have a whole new challenge ahead of me. So again, you know, my business mind goes right to, let's start connecting the dots. Who can I put you in contact with? Where can I point you towards that's going to get yep. you everything, all the resources, all the train up, all the education that you need so that your son can live an incredible life and do amazing things with his life. Start positioning yourself with the right people and everything else will fall into place. You know, I know you, I know yeah. you do, um, you know, motivational speaking as well. Um, you know, how do you, I had a curiosity, how do you integrate your, you know, your personal story Let's say with someone who is not an amputee, they're struggling with something completely unrelated, you know, to your uh, particular journey. What, you know, what does that look like for you? How, how do you, how do you develop, um, you know, practices in that way? Well, I think, I think if someone's going through something that's very different to you, yes, it's probably a different situation. However, you know, the feelings, the thoughts, the intentions can all still be pretty much the same. So when you relate to somebody, you know, you don't have to say, I've been in this particular situation, but you can say, I was in this situation and it made me feel like this, which I imagine is also how it makes you feel. And therefore, you know, we could get out of it by this is how I did it. And this is the mindset. When it comes to sort of my motivational speeches, it's, it's interesting because 
I don't necessarily think that I'm a particularly motivating person. I think I'm just someone who's just getting on with my life. And the fact that people like my story is pretty cool. And people will very kindly pay for that um, story to be told. And it's very interesting when people say to me, you know, oh, you're so inspiring or you're so motivating. Because I'm like, I'm just a guy who's just living my life. Um, so, you know, when I get questions like this, I, I sometimes don't really know how to answer because actually I, I feel like there's a lot of aspects in my story that are really relatable for whatever reason mm -hmm. that is. And when people are struggling and I try and help them to get out of that, it's finding what is the root of this problem? What is the feeling or what is the response as a result of that? Have I felt something similar? And this is how I kind of overcome it. So it's... um. Yeah, there's always something to relate to people, even if I haven't been through your. No, and situation. and I totally agree with that as well. You know, we're all we're all having this human experience, and there's so yeah. many similarities in that regard. You know, we um, you know, we haven't even we haven't even scratched the surface here with you, and you know, of course, we're looking at my watch, and I know we're we're already an hour in, so um, of course. I want to thank you wholeheartedly for what you represent in the amputee community. I want to um, also thank you personally because so much of my own success in, in navigating this tricky path has been in um, finding inspiration through people like yourself. And um, I'm so excited because I know that we're going to revisit this conversation and I'm sure it'll be many medals from now. And, um, you know, just, uh, please, you know, don't be a stranger and, um, you know, just God bless. And I so appreciate everything. You know, you taking the time to be here is kind of a dream come true for me. So, um, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh, no. It's my absolute pleasure. That's going to wrap it up for us. My name is Rick Bonkowski. This is the Amped Up to 11 podcast, and I want to wish everyone health and happiness. We'll see you next time. <laughs>